Hey, what up, fam? It's your boy, Norm, and I would like to welcome you again to episode 62 of the Evangelical Norm. So, now I have one time, uh, on purpose, deleted a podcast and re-recorded it because I didn't like what was in it. This time I've got to, had to delete and re-record because for some reason the sound did not work on the video I did last night and posted up this morning. So here we are doing it again. I have tested the audio. It worked earlier. We'll see if it works again. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to capture the same passion that I had last night because a lot of this was raw and um, had just happened as last night as I talked about it. So... Um, you know, part of my beard, I went swimming today, and I've got chlorine beard, uh, so we'll stop playing with that. <laughs> so, um, I just want to jump into it, and just start talking about it, and I'm going to start uh, with reading scripture, because this, uh, this figures right into what I'm going to talk about. So, um, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And most of you probably know this verse. Um, this is common memory verse. Uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, this figures in, and this is... This has been coming for a long time based on social media interactions I've seen between leaders in the church that I respect. And I'm not going to drop any names. I'm not going to you know, put anybody on blast, which I actually did last night. Um, well, no, I didn't. I was going to, and then I decided not to, simply based off of the interaction that I had earlier in the afternoon. So, um, a little bit of the interaction. If any of you follow me on Twitter, then you know what went down. Um, so, but um, Josh Kreese, one of the, the rappers that I follow and I would say I'm friends with, uh, posted something on Twitter, basically a, a video um, you know, and, uh, a debate on YouTube that was there. And he mentioned, he said, you know, here, check this out. I'm watching this with the scriptures open. And I commented, I'd seen most of it, hadn't seen the entire video. And then he commented back, he said, it's good. But one critique I have is this. And he, he just made an observation. So someone from that organization immediately responds to, to Josh. Well, maybe not immediately. It seemed pretty quick. Um, and I had made a comment. I said, well, you know, there's another guy who does this same thing. I'm going to try to keep it as vague as possible. Most of you probably know what went down. Um, it was, uh, does the same thing. And so, you know, I quit watching him. Uh, and so someone from the organization of the 
gentleman that was in the, the debate that we had made the observation. I keep saying we because I agreed with him, but Josh had made the observation about comes in and immediately tells him immediately. So here's a here's another issue. Let's just rabbit trail on this for a minute. We use so many many filler words, and I'm working on it. Um, the movie The Giver that I, I figured out, and now have, don't have to ask for the name. They always talk about in there. There are things where they say precision of speech. Um, I'm working on that because I found that way too much of our speech is generalized. You know. Again, part of what this is going to talk about is generalizations that happen. And so I'm working on it. So really, honestly, um, for the eight of you who might watch this, because that's average viewership, um, call me on it. If you have to make a comment, let me know when I'm doing something that is a generalization. I know I say um a lot and I'm working on that too. Uh, but you can you can give me an um count. My the first few pa the sermons that I ever preached when I was pastored, my wife counted up my ums, and so uh, yeah, there's that. So this guy responds to Josh and says, "You missed the point." Blah blah blah, and then I jumped in, and I don't know why I felt the need to defend Josh. He's a big boy, smart. That's not a fat joke. Um, that was bad. Josh is going to beat me up. Um, he can defend himself and he's probably a lot smarter than me. Um, listen to his last album, uh, the five solas, the so is it the five solas or just the solas? Um, now I have to go back and look at the title of the album. Um, listen to it. Dude is smart. So I didn't have to defend him, but I did. So I was like, hey, man, you know, y'all jumped to being uh, def to the defensive way too quick. Nobody missed the point. We just made an honest observation. It's not an attack on this particular person. Just an observation. He does something that we find slightly distracting when he debates. Bottom line. Then the guy come back again. No, you still. And Josh actually responded. And then the guy was like, no, you still missed the point, blah, blah, blah. They went back and forth for a minute. Boom. Dude blocks Josh on Twitter. Josh pops up, makes a comment, goes back and forth, actually interacts with the dude who um, was in the debate for a minute. Um, and then someone else kind of jumped in on the, the thing. And she and I went back and forth for a minute about, you know, you should just give this guy the benefit of the doubt because he's been doing this for so long and you should just let it go. And initially, and here, here's where this all came from. So make a long story short, too late. My initial reaction was I wanted to really respond and say I've been doing the same thing to a different degree, but still ministering to the same people, um, studying the same stuff. I don't have PhDs or anything else in it, but I have been in this particular kind of ministry for almost the same amount of time. Does that not give me the right, apparently, because you're appealing to um, experience and longevity and um, tenure, essentially, 
I have the same and I should be able to, you know, that should give me the right to defend my position on this. And again, it occurred to me that it doesn't matter. Somebody can be, I've, I've been studying the scriptures and really diving into, and not as much as I could, you know, I mean, I haven't read all the church fathers, like some of the guys I know have, but I've been, I've been reading and studying scripture itself. Um, you know, I, I kind of fell into that camp for a long time and I'm working my way out of it to where I'm starting to read other guys. But I was in the camp of, I read my Bible with my strongs and maybe a Bible dictionary. Um, but that's it. That was all I did. And I've done that for well over, well, not well, I can't say well over, um, a little over 20 years now, um, where I've really been studying the Bible. But be, before that, I was, I was a student of religion. I studied, I read the Book of Mormon because I was a Mormon. I, I've read all the Mormon scriptures cover to cover because they made us do that stuff in seminary in high school. Um, I've read the Quran, <laughs> difficult to read, um, almost impossible to read it cover to cover, um, but you can. I don't know that I ever read the Quran cover to cover, but I can say I've read the, the whole thing in, in its entirety in different sections. So I've done this, and yes, I've been a, a student of religion for well over 20 years. So I wanted to respond with that. But then something just occurred to me and I was like, you know what? I don't want, because again, I'm doing the same thing that he did in the video. Um, and so I just let it go. And she said, you know, the, the lady that I interacted with said, just, you know, let it go. And so I, my response was rather than defending myself and, you know, and go making this go on and on and on. I just said, it's gone. Well, and then after all of that, the same gentleman, part of the organization of the man that was in the debate, blocked me. And he hadn't blocked me up until that point. And so after all this, and still agreeing to let it go, I still got the left foot of fellowship. So I posted that picture because Josh had posted a picture of him being blocked. And I posted it and said, you know, here, I had gone through everything I had and I hadn't apologized, but I said, okay, we're, we're done. We're not going to carry this on and, and keep, you know, fighting the argument. And so I said, it's gone. Let it go. And he still blocked me. So my, I'm looking at that and my initial thoughts are that's pretty immature. Um, it's hard to carry on a conversation with someone who's already left the room um, and blocked and locked the door so you can't follow them. <laughs> And so it was really odd that he blocked me in that way. But so be it. His Twitter account, he can block whoever he wants. Um, I just felt like it was a little, I thought it was a little immature um, to block over something, just seriously an observation. But I've come to notice that this particular group and some others, I, I can't say one particular group, there are a lot of people and ministries and so on in evangelicalism right now that 
any little critique, they take it as an attack, they go on the defensive, and they never, will never admit they are wrong. Never. I mean, it doesn't matter. Maybe, I again, shouldn't say never, because maybe one of them at some point in time will, but as you watch them debate, and back and forth in 280 characters on Twitter, no one will, is willing to budge an inch. And so as I was watching that and thinking about that and then looking at this scripture, and this is a scripture that came to mind when, well, this one didn't particularly, there was another that particu in particular that came to mind, but it pushed me back to this one. And we'll get there in a second. But this scripture, John 13, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and as I have loved you, so you too, um, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this command from Jesus that we love one another, and then I'm looking at exchanges that are happening, and especially um, these exchanges are happening along the lines of racial issues right now. That is, that is the key divider right now. That is what the enemy is trying to use to divide the church, to defeat this particular command of Christ. I'm firmly in, in, in the, the belief that Satan is using racial, um, disharmony to, um, counterman to contradict, to split the church, divide the church, and defeat this command. And we see it a lot. And, and again, I considered using names, but I'm going to try to keep it vague. And again, most of you will know exactly who I'm talking about. But there's a lot of leaders right now who are coming out um, and seemingly, of course, those in, um, those of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Minority. We'll just use that because again, I don't want to specify, you know, blacks, whatever, you know, I mean, it's coming around in all kinds of different areas of minorities. Um, they are in this place where they're, they're, I mean, bad things are happening. Last year, over the last year, year and a half, we have seen way too many black men killed by police, whether justified or not. Um, we've seen this happen far too often over the last year. However you want to, you know, address how we know so much about it, whether it's just an overabundance of media, social media, everybody has a camera nowadays. You know, I mean, if, if it wasn't for a video camera, we'd have never known about Rodney King. If one man hadn't started rolling tape on that, that was in a desolate enough place um, in an area where not many people would have said or seen. Um, and if someone hadn't rolled tape, we would have never known. Um, not that it, it helped immensely in the beginning, but we still ended up with riots and, and things like that. Um, 
but now everybody's got a camera and so many of these things are being caught on tape and what happens is you know the the minority community I don't want to say community I don't want to lump everybody together but there are those on within minorities um, who immediately jump to um, go on the offensive you know this is bad this is and it is but they're like the police are bad and and racism is rearing its ugly head and this is all systemic racism and we see this happening and then on the other side of the board uh, the majority white people I guess there's no way to avoid it but tend to come to the de immediate defense of the police they immediately want to go into the character of the person who was shot they immediately want to go into the attitude and the activities of the person who was shot when um, you know and so in its immediate defense of the police you don't know you weren't trained the way they were blah 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 so we see this happen and then it becomes this big um, embroiled situation and then we have we see you know SJWs and I, I hate these labels and I refuse to use them uh, you will never out of the context of this hear me refer to anybody as an SJW ever nor will you hear me refer to anybody as the alt-right or white supremacists or anything like that. well unless it's absolutely obvious if you're wearing a, a swastika and, and so on I'm gonna call you what you are and but I'm, I hate these titles SJW so on and so forth so you won't hear me use those but we see that being used and now we've got uh, people doing sermon series uh, not sermon series podcast series um, on these issues um, and it, it's still going back and forth and you've got you know this side saying you guys don't understand our the plight that we've been through uh, even to the point of accusing and demanding repentance from white evangelicalism right now for the attitude of our of the past the attitude of the church during the time of slavery the attitude of the church you know and there's a demand for repentance and a demand for um, I don't know if it's just recognition or what but white evangelicalism is being held accountable for everything that has ever happened in the church right now um, as far as along racial lines um, and yet we are not willing to even hear what the other side has to say most of the time we just immediately come to um, the defensive so as I thought about this and this I'm, I'll get to the verse that spurred this whole thing on um, and again it, I mean most of you are gonna know it it's 1st Corinthians 13 um, the love chapter because I was thinking, you know, if Jesus has um, commanded us to love one another, we should really look at what that love looks like and what Paul gives us a very distinct um, definition of what love is. Um, 
I'm going to read the whole chapter, so bear with me for a minute. Um, Paul says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And now here's the, the, the key, and we're going to really dig into this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices at the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus has commanded us to love one another. And as I'm looking at, and I'm guilty too. And so again, this is another video where as I'm pointing one finger at, I'm painfully aware of the three that are pointing back at me. I'm guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. And it is just in recent times that I truly think that the Holy Spirit in sanctification and growing me in holiness and maturing me in my faith has got me to a place where I think I cannot be guilty of this anymore. Um, but the interactions that are happening between evangelical leaders, evangelical people, reformed people, um, all this, these interactions that are happening are not in love. And again, I don't want to say that all of them, you know, there are some. I've watched one guy, and I, I'm going I'm to I'm name him because I watch him and the way that he talks, and, and he can be a little snarky from time to time. But there's just so much grace in some of the tweets that he puts out, especially in the conversations that they he has um, online on Cross Politic, and that's um, David Shannon, uh, the Chocolate Knox. When I grow up, I want to be like like him. So, um, but and there are others but so many of the ones that are just out there public and are being seen um there there's not it doesn't feel like there's love in them and there's a couple of things that I wanted to look at in this love is patient and kind initial first off and this is I'm right now I'm going to talk to mainly white evangelicalism um and even I'll throw in conservatives that maybe aren't even saved, but on a political sphere, those on the right, especially in this area, in this arena of racial issues, specifically getting more down to a point, and this can expand even more, but in black men that have been shot by police. Because one thing that happens, and it really happens on both sides, but I... I I experienced it more and have been guilty of it in the past more on the white, the white or the right side. 
the conservative side, this side, and there there are even some some black people in on this um, politically, but we're not patient. We do not wait for the whole story to come out. Um, we immediately react to, and sometimes, and I don't know, I, I was going to throw out a percentage there, but I couldn't, it would probably be incorrect. But some of those times when the, the initial prejudging, prejudicial reaction to it happens, the impatient reaction to it happens immediately, we're jumping out in defense of the police and the black guy was probably a thug. He was probably a criminal. He was probably this. He was probably that. What was he doing? What was he? Did he have a gun? Did he pull a gun? This is where we react. On this side, they react that almost immediately that it's the policeman's fault, that it's a racially motivated thing, that it happened just because the guy is black. Um, and that, again, we're not being patient. The love that we have is not being patient. We're not waiting for the facts to come out before we just react. And the problem is, is we know that when we react in those ways, we are going to somehow, some way, offend our brother on the other side. And it's not loving. The initial impatient overreaction prejudicial reaction to these situations is not loving because love is patient and as Christians I can't talk to the to those who are not Christians all I can do right now is Christians as Christ has commanded us to love one another if we are going to love one another the way that Christ wants us to we have got to let our love be patient in every situation we do not need to react until we know the facts love is patient love is kind um, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. That one, just let that settle in. If your immediate reaction is that's not talking about you, you're probably guilty. If you think immediately love is not arrogant and you're like, well, I'm good on that one, you probably are. Self-examination is going to be a big key to this right here. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And this resentful, if we look and we look in other uh, versions and we look to the Greek, it says that resentful is and does not count count up wrongdoings. <laughs> Excuse me, I got a little itch. Um, does not count up wrongdoings. <sighs> Here I'm going to talk to my brothers on um, the the black side of this issue and I, I someone's going to call me racist but okay love does not count up wrongdoings when you write an article that implies that white evangelicalism is responsible for Jim Crow is responsible for all civil rights atrocities is responsible for slavery, is responsible for this thing, and you're demanding some kind of repentance for those things in the past, you're not being loving. You're counting up wrongdoings. You're holding a record of wrongs that love, Jesus says, love says you should not. 
as a white evangelical, I have, it sounds so, well, I don't even know the word, shallow to even say I've never, I've not had a racist thought. That's probably incorrect, but for the majority of my life, I've not been a racist. I, I've not, I've not. You know, I, I won't say I'm colorblind because God made color and I look at my brothers who are black and my brothers who are brown and my brother and my brothers and sisters who are all different colors, all different spectrum of skin color. I look at them as, for the beauty that God has created in them. So I'm not colorblind, but I don't see them as anything different, especially if we are united in Christ. I don't see a difference in us. And I will not. But when, and again, my initial reaction when someone comes at me and says, you need to repent for the things that, that the church has done. Your, your grandparents were complicit in the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King. No, they weren't. Maybe they were. I can't tell you where my grandmother's attitudes lied along racial lines. I can't tell you where my grandfather, I never met my grandpa. And maybe I did meet my grandpa Sam briefly. I think he died right, no, he died before, I think both of my grandfathers died before I did, I don't remember. I have to go back and look up dates. I know my grandpa Norman died before I did. So I couldn't tell you what his attitudes were towards people of color, I have no idea. But I don't think that my grandparents were complicit in the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King or in anything along the lines of Jim Crow or anything else. To make that statement, and now everybody knows exactly who I'm talking about, violates what this definition of love is because you are, you are holding a record of wrongs that in your repentance, as you forgive as you've been forgiven, in your repentance, you should let this go on, on account of your brothers. And I'm going to let that hang out there and, and you can come at me and tell me that I'm wrong. Go ahead and at me, bro. I'm, I'm cool with that. We'll discuss it and maybe, and, and if you can show me specifically where I'm wrong, I'm willing to say I'm wrong. Because of this definition of love, it doesn't insist it's on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I'll admit it, but, and again, it just sounds like I'm being defensive, but I don't want to, I won't, if, if, if I'm not convinced to, to quote Martin Luther, if it's true, unless I'm, unless I'm convinced by, by conscience and, and a clear reading of scripture, then here I stand, I can do no other. I can go by what is revealed in this book. And holding your records of wrong, holding uh, white evangelicalism today accountable for what has happened 60, 70, 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years in the past is holding a record of wrongs. And it's not loving of your brother. Does not rejoice in wrongdoings. This is an obvious thing. We should never, ever um rejoice 
the our immediate reaction, brothers and sisters, white, black, everything, our immediate reaction to the death of anybody, but again, we're talking specifically about sh black men who have been shot because that's the 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 core issue that is behind right now, I think, a lot of the racial strife going on. Maybe I'm wrong, but as I see it, that has been the core. That has been, that's the reason why Colin Kaepernick started kneeling at during the national anthem. That's the reason why we have this, all this going on. When we hear about any Body, and, and, and I'm going to leave it at that. Anybody being shot, whether it's by police, whether it's by a illegal immigrant, whether, you know, whatever it is. Our first initial reaction should be, this is a wrongdoing. This is a, a tragedy. We do not rejoice in that. And immediately we should be seeking to mourn with those who mourn. We should understand, and this, I, you know, this was one of the the real convicting lines out of Kurt Kurt Kennedy's album. Did he do hashtag C4 under Kurt Kennedy or Kurt Allen? I don't remember which name he used. I would have to again go back and look at the album. Um, Kurt, Pastor Kurt, um, the mayonnaise marauder. Um, hashtag C4, the song Justice. There's a line in there where it talks about, you know, was he a thug? Did he did he charge the cop? Whatever. Was he trying struggling over the officer's gun? But the line is, have we forgotten that they just lost a son? No matter the religious affiliation, no matter the political persuasion of the parents of Michael Brown or any other, uh, you know, Tamir Rice, um, Trayvon Martin, and, and this, again, a couple of these, I was guilty of the immediate reaction of, well, you know, they were probably, you know, especially with Michael Brown, because it came out very pretty quickly that he had strong-armed, uh, you know, robbed the store before. And so my immediate reaction was he's a thug. He was fighting with a cop. You know, the cop was justified. Stealing cigars from a, uh, a grocery store is not a death penalty offense. Even striking a police officer is not a death penalty offense. Now we know, and again, now I'm going to have people coming at me going, well, he was justified. He was defending himself. It happened. We should mourn with the parents. We should mourn with those who lost a son, a brother, a friend, a boyfriend, whatever. We should be mourning before we should be reacting on until we know all the facts. But our first reaction should be mourning with those who mourn. That's what we do. That's what we are as Christians. We don't rejoice in wrongdoings, no matter what it is or how it is. But then it says it rejoices in the truth. And that's what we need to wait for. We wait for truth in situations like this. We mourn with those who mourn, and then we examine the facts when they come out. But don't react early. Don't immediately, again, we shouldn't immediately be coming to the defense of anybody in this situation. Somebody died, we mourn with those who mourn. We, we weep with their families. We, we mourn that they died. We, we hope that they knew the gospel. 
These are the things that we do as Christians. And we should not ever be immediately reacting in any way that even remotely looks like that guy deserved it or that guy is automatically a racist. We should mourn with those who mourn and wait for the facts. Be patient and wait for the facts in every situation. You know, I said it last week when they found Molly Tibbetts um, had been killed and it turned out that she was killed by an illegal immigrant. And my first reaction was, don't make this about immigration. Please, Christian, if you're out there, please don't make this about immigration. Let this family mourn. Pray for the family. Pray for the father and the mother and siblings or whoever lost this, this young lady. Mourn for the loss of life. Pray for her family. Pray for them. Don't make it a political thing and don't make it about immigration. Mass shootings should never be immediately made about gun control or Second Amendment rights. The initial reaction should be, people died, we need to mourn and pray. And people are mad at us when we send our thoughts and prayers. But that is should be our reaction, and we should wait for facts before we get into any kind of political or social or sociological, philosophical debates. Immediately, we pray and we mourn. And so I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to hope that this is, uh, is helpful. I'm going to hope that you guys heard it in the, in the heart that I had for it. Because um, I really just want to see men that I respect on both sides of this spectrum coming together in the love that Christ asked us to come together so that the world can look and say, those are Christ's disciples. In the midst of of racial strife in the midst of political strife in the midst of whatever it is they are coming together from both sides and they are coming together in love for one another they are listening to one another they are patiently waiting facts and truth and rejoicing in the truth and not rejoicing in the wrongdoing and loving one another letting go of their arrogance their irritability and their resentfulness, their holding, their, their um, counting a record of wrongs, letting those things go and loving each other and letting the gospel that has saved every single one of us and the Holy Spirit that lives in us change us and grow us in holiness and let that process of sanctification make us more mature Christians where we can love each other. And I'm going to leave it at that. And as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next week, Soli Deo Gloria.